If you have a Bible with you, uh, maybe you could turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Uh, it's the famous passage where Jesus tells us that the harvest is plentiful. And I think it's a very timely word uh, for us as a church. It's the start of a brand new year. Uh, and uh, I don't know about you, but uh, I'm expecting great things for the next 12 months. Uh, my hope, uh, my prayer, my dream, uh, I guess my goal for the next year is that more and more people would uh, come along to Church Central. Uh, I guess altogether more important than that, more and more people would meet with Jesus here. Uh, more and more people would become followers of Jesus. Uh, more and more people would see their lives transformed by Jesus. Now, if that's what you want to see as well, then this passage here in Luke 10, uh, I believe, has a whole lot to say to us. Let's pick it up in verse 1. This is what Jesus teaches his disciples. The Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. These were his instructions to them. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And so pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Jesus here is using vocabulary uh, taken from the world of farming and agriculture. And using that vocabulary, he's saying that there is a huge harvest that he sees in front of him. Now, just to explain, uh, he is actually speaking spiritually. Uh, He is saying that there are many, many people whom he's chosen who aren't yet followers of him. And so, right at the outset today, I want to ask you, how big a harvest do you see? How big a harvest do you believe there is for Church Central? How many people do you think God could bring to faith through us? On the first day that we were launched as a church, God promised us that he had many, many people for us here in this city. What do you think many people in this city looks like? What do you have faith for? I don't know, five, ten, fifty, hundred, five hundred, seven hundred, a thousand, ten thousand, more? And how many people do you think God could bring to faith through you? You know, I think we can very easily set our expectation levels way too low. In fact, might be a few people in the room right now who are actually quite happy with things remaining as they are. We, we don't want to lose our favourite seat if uninitiated people come in and dare to sit in our seats, then oh, that, that throws us completely. We, we don't want to have to relocate our facilities. We, we don't want others to come along who maybe have more gifting than we have, who end up taking over some of our responsibilities. It's like some of us really struggle with change. And so the thought of committing ourselves to help the church grow doesn't make sense to you. But this kind of a talk doesn't motivate you at all. I mean, isn't it enough 
for the church simply to exist, to gather together for friendship and fellowship and the occasional modicum of fun. Can't we just maintain what we've got? Can't we just preserve this? Now, don't hear me wrong. Christians should be friends. We should love one another. Nothing wrong with fellowship. Nothing wrong with having fun. There's definitely a place for that. But the church exists in large part, if not primarily, to introduce people to Jesus. Now, perhaps you're sitting there thinking, well, it's all very well, but what's in it for me then? And I would gently say, it's not about me. It's about Jesus and the people who don't yet know Jesus. I don't want to sound harsh at the start of a new year. I mean, you didn't come for this kind of a talk, but God hasn't called us to live these kind of self-absorbed lives where the church is primarily a place where our own perceived needs get pampered to. His plan from the very beginning has been for the church to be the place where we're trained and equipped to better bring the love and life of Jesus to others outside these four walls. And whenever we gather together, like we are here today, we get to celebrate the fact that we're surrounded by more and more people who are moving ever closer to Jesus. And hopefully on a regular basis, we're seeing more and more people come to faith in him. Now, all of that being said, I guess the pertinent question is, how does this actually happen? How do we effectively reach people? Well, I think Jesus models the strategy himself in a pretty remarkable way. He himself is sent by God the Father. He says that repeatedly throughout the Gospels, particularly John's Gospel, where he keeps on saying, the Father has sent me. The Father has sent me. The Father has sent me. If you like, Jesus is the ultimate missionary. He's a missionary sent into a time and a place and a people group and a culture and a language to bring the love and life of God among them. And now he sends us. He sends each of his followers into cities, into communities, into schools, into hospitals, into businesses, onto university campuses, into homes, into streets, to love and to serve and to seek the well-being of others and ultimately to seek the salvation of as many people as possible. If you remember, it all started with Jesus selecting 12 who became his first disciples. They followed him. They were trained by him. And then here in Luke chapter 10, he adds to their number 72 others. What's interesting is we don't know the names of these people. We know the names of the 12, but not these 72. God knows the names. I think they're like the many faithful, committed, consistent, godly volunteers in the church here. who do so much hard work with such a phenomenal attitude out of love for God. God knows, God sees. So Jesus sends the 72 out, just like he sends us out today. And what he tells them is the harvest is plentiful, that there is great opportunity 
in front of them, that there are many people whom God has already been preparing, many people that he's already working in. All they need is for someone who knows and loves Jesus already to come alongside them and speak to them, to maybe answer some of their questions, to deal with some of their questions and objections, to help them come into a life-saving relationship with Jesus for themselves. And it's the same today. Let me just ask you, do you believe that there is a great harvest for us? Do you believe that there are hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people that God will save in this city? And God sends us, God sends you to reach them. Do you believe that? I was chatting to another church leader recently about how Church Central started. And we're talking about where we got to today. And he asked, well, when you first moved to Birmingham, when you first planted the church, did you see everything coming that you're now enjoying today? And even though 17 years back, we just started in our living room with a small handful of people. I said, to be honest, I didn't know what God would do. But yeah, even then, I could see that there was a great harvest. Uh, the reason we moved here was we, we knew there was a great opportunity in front of us. And he said, well, do you still feel that way? Do you still believe that? Do you still think there's a great harvest? Genuinely? 100%. Yes, I do. I mean, specifically, I, I can see us moving from meeting in three sites in three different parts of the city, as we are today, I've already been uh, to the west site and the north site in their new venue this morning. Just made it, I was skin of my teeth here in time. Uh, I can see it getting even more complex as we move to four sites in the next few years. I can see how that would help us grow as a church through a thousand people. I mean, from nothing, if we could grow to several hundred, why can't we do it again and again and again? I can see that, I can believe for that don't think that's beyond our scope. And as a, an eldership team, we, we have an idea of what that would look like, what that might take, have some kind of a sense of what it would mean in terms of people and money and resources and locations and staff. We, we have some ideas. And, and I'll tell you that, not to come across as arrogant or boastful or proud or, or pretentious, but to tell you, I really genuinely believe the harvest is plentiful. And if we take Jesus' words to be true, we, we need to have a vision for a great future. We need to actively plan and prepare for it. That there should be a growing sense of hope and enthusiasm and, dare I say, excitement. Because we don't just exist for survival. It isn't all about just maintaining what we've got. We, we exist for the salvation of others. And there should be a great joy and anticipation, sense of urgency and expectation. When Jesus says the harvest is plentiful, he wants those words to resonate inside us. And he wants for us to kind of raise our hands like the 72 and say, yeah, I'm in. I want to play a part in what God's doing today. I want to see people come to faith in Jesus. 
I want to see lives changed in front of my eyes. I, I want to see this city transformed with the gospel. The harvest is plentiful, but we're not there yet. There is much more to be done in this city. And so, just like the 72, we're sent out by God to go and bring in the harvest. I hope, I trust, I pray that 2014 would be a phenomenal year of harvest for us. That we'll work hard at building closer relationships, friendships with people outside the church. That we'll labour, that we'll sow, we'll keep going even when there's no visible, tangible fruit. Until eventually, harvest time comes. And we see many, many, many people come to faith in Jesus. And what does Jesus tell us to do then? He tells us to pray. And that's exactly what he says. Pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. God's at work in our city, in our communities, in our places of work, in our schools, in our colleges. And currently, there aren't enough of his people who are working where he's working. And so we need to pray. We need to pray that more people would join us in bringing in the harvest. So, here are a few things to pray for across the church. First of all, please, pray for our three sites. It was just three years ago that we launched our West site. It's great how God has added to our number there over the last three years. Uh, earlier on this morning, just ask for a show of hands in the room. Who had come to us since we started meeting there at Lordswood Girls' School? A third of the room put their hands up. It's like God has blessed us in that place. But we've also sent out a whole lot of people, particularly from that site. Over the last 12 months, there's a bunch who have sent down into Longbridge. A number of others were sent into uh, other contexts. We could really do with God adding a few new workers to us in the West Site. We're praying for that. We're also praying for a very big harvest in the coming year. Pray also for our north site. Oh, it was exciting being there this morning. Brand new venue. It can seat 200 people at a push. 42 people in the room. Much room for growth. I'm praying that we would double in number there this year. Praying for that that there's great opportunity in front of us, right in the middle of three or four different residential areas, communities. Great opportunity. Got a great team of people out there. They're going for it. Praying for God to bring in more workers and ultimately bring in a harvest. Then, of course, pray for this site. In a week's time, this room will be rammed with people. and The students come back. I was going, well, we're excited in terms of What's going on here? But we're praying that the crowd that will be here next week would be fully added in, on board with the vision of the church, willing workers in the harvest. We're praying for much fruit this year. We don't want to be complacent just because we can gather a good crowd, then we're okay. No, we want to push on, see many poor people saved, added to the church this year. Now, 
just in case you're wondering, here's the big idea. This actually works. It's like you gather a bunch of people into a room who love Jesus, and then you send them out to share the love and life of Jesus wherever they go, and then there's a great harvest. And when you start seeing momentum in a new area, you think, aha, God might be doing something there. Let's start a new site there. But that can be a real stretch. It it leaves quite a few gaps. And so you pray to the Lord of the harvest for more workers. I want to urge you, please pray regularly for Church Central. As an eldership team, we, a number of years ago now, set a goal that over the next 10 years, we believe it could be possible, by the grace of God, if he wills, for us to grow to a church of a 1,000 people in four different sites. That's what we've been praying for as a team over the last few years. Still in our hearts, believing for that. Again, you might be thinking, well, who is this guy? Maybe you know who I am. You're not thinking that, but you're thinking, I mean, how ambitious. Isn't it being slightly arrogant, proud? No, I think so. We believe the Bible. Believe what it says. We believe the harvest is still plentiful today. It was true back in Jesus' day. Firmly believe it is still true today. Don't think that anything's changed. The opportunity is there. But we need to pray for more workers, more labourers, more people to get on board with the vision. Pray as well for some of our other ministries. Our Christians Against Poverty Centre saw 36 people last year, currently working with 25 of them to see them get debt free. It's great seeing a few of them come to carol services over Christmas. Pray for all of them to come to faith in Jesus this year. I mean, why aim for pray for five of them when you pray for all of them? Just pray for that. Be great. See more in this site here. Mini kids in Sally Oak now working with 25 families coming regularly. Pray for it to keep growing and growing through this year. Pray that the crowd that's gathered would develop stronger friendships. Again, I don't know what you think. I'd love it if we saw more of those families coming among us here in this site through this next year. Our student work, really flourishing. We're hoping next Sunday we'll have upwards of 70 students in the room. But we need to pray for them to get fully integrated into the life of the church. Not just viewing this as a meeting they pitch up to once a week, but a church they commit to, get on board with, throw their lot in with. See it as an opportunity to gather their friends in. I work with senior citizens. It's the place to be. Slightly biased, I know, but it's absolutely booming right now. Patrick's they can't hear, so you have to be quite loud. But we're getting uh, over 40 to time for tea uh, every time we run it. Have 15 coming regularly to our senior citizens' life group every Tuesday morning. So a number of those become Christians or get back to God in recent years. But there's an urgent need to see more. Please keep praying. Emerge, our youth group, started just a few years ago with, I don't know, three youth? Four, sorry, four youth. Uh, I don't know, exaggerate, four. <laughs> now has 15 young people on the books. Pray for it to increase. This year, have got a great team involved. Pray for it to grow this year. 
Last term, we had 70 guests come to Balti and Big Questions. 15 on our Alpha course. Approximately 150 visitors over our carol services. We need to keep praying that where people have heard snippets of the gospel, they would come back to hear more. And through this year, they'd respond in faith and come to know Jesus for themselves. As we launch a brand new Alpha course in the next few weeks, let's pray for much fruit from it. Because the harvest is, what? Plentiful. By the end, you will have got this. I'll keep going until you have. There is massive opportunity in front of us. I mean, through all of these different ministries I've just mentioned, every week we're, we're, we're touching the lives of tens, twenties, potentially up to 100 people. And then if you add into that, all of the friends, all of the neighbours, all of the work colleagues we've got just in this room, lives of unbelievers we're touching every week, runs into the thousands. When Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, suddenly perhaps it doesn't seem quite so out of reach. And so we need to follow Jesus' example and pray for many more workers. I want to appeal to you, please pray for that. And then, having urged his followers to pray for more workers, Jesus moves on to give them some very specific instructions. I want us to look at this next part of the passage, picking up in verse 3. Jesus says, now go. And remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. Don't take any money with you, nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of sandals, and don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. If those who live there are peaceful, the blessing will stand. If they're not, the blessing will return to you. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Don't hesitate to accept hospitality because those who work deserve their pay. If you enter a town and it welcomes you, eat whatever is set before you. Heal the sick and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you now. Basically, Jesus tells them there are five things they need to do. And I think these things are just as relevant for us today as they were for his followers 2,000 years ago. Here's what he says. First of all, watch out for wolves. The Bible describes Jesus as our chief shepherd. And he delegates shepherding responsibility to elders and deacons who are to look after his church. The church, if you like, is a flock. And individual Christians, each one of us, we are like sheep. And we need to be led. And we need to be fed. And Jesus says... We also need to be protected from wolves. Bible uses a line to talk about wolves. It says they like to draw away disciples after themselves. You know, some things don't change. There are always wolves trying to ravage the flock, take away the sheep. Wolves trying to manipulate through lies or false teaching or emotional appeal or under the guise of friendship. Things that could be used in a godly way for the gospel end up being used in an ungodly way in opposition of the gospel. So that the wolf can just, one at a time, pick off the sheep and draw them away from the shepherd and the rest of the flock. There are moral wolves that want you to compromise your holiness. There are 
doctrinal walls that want you to compromise the truth of sound doctrine. Now, start to get you to question certain teachings, certain parts of the Bible. There are people who are kind of like power wolves, that they want to be in control. They want to be in authority. They're very suspicious, very skeptical about those in leadership. And they just want you to treat them as if they were in charge, as if they were a shepherd. Also wolves who are far less subtle in their attempt to savage you. They use mockery and criticism. They'll oppose you, cause other people to mistreat you. They'll lie about you, steal from you. Now, whatever guise the wolf comes in, one thing is for sure. They are hell-bent on destroying the sheep. And so as we grow as a church, there will be wolves that come among us. Jesus says, number one, watch out for the wolves. Now, don't be like one of the sites earlier on. It started kind of people started pointing at one another, thinking, aha, I've spotted a wolf in our midst. No, I'm, I'm not saying suddenly get all suspicious of one another. But pray for the leaders of the church who have wisdom in the way we protect the church. We care for the church. Number two, seek the peace and salvation of everyone. That's what Jesus says. Anyone you meet, any home you go into, try to bring peace. And the peace that Jesus is talking about here is ultimately the peace of salvation. It is peace with God. You see, by nature... We are at enmity. We are at war with God. We're hostile towards him. We're in sin or rebellion against him. So talk to people about Jesus. If you want to show that you really care, if you really love them, you need to let them know that there is an issue between us and God. He's not pleased with us living our way in rebellion against him. But there is peace to be had between us and God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he loves us. And he came and lived as we should live. He died in our place. And he rose again and he keeps on loving us, even though a lot of the time we we don't actually deserve it. And through Jesus, the sin, the rebellion, the enmity, the hostility, the animosity between us and God can be removed. We can now know peace with our creator, peace with God. So as you go to work, as you go to school, as you go shopping, as you maybe bump into your neighbours, don't be those rude, annoying Christians. Don't be all holier than thou and aloof and sorry I can't mix with you because I'm a Christian. Don't, don't keep people at arm's length. And don't fall for the opposite trap of keeping Jesus to yourself for fear of what other people might think of you. But actively seek the peace and salvation of everyone. And third, look particularly for those who are open. Jesus says not to stop and greet anyone on the road. On the surface, that seems ever so slightly impolite slightly rude but well, maybe it's kind of kind of health and safety i mean don't stop someone on the road there in case they get hit by a car i don't know cars didn't exist then so it's not that back then the formal greeting on the road could take hours and hours and so i think what jesus is saying is look don't get tied up in those really long complicated conversations 
that at the end of the day just aren't going anywhere. It's not wrong to be patient with people who aren't interested in the gospel right now. But Jesus says, if it's harvest time, you're looking for the low-hanging fruit. He's saying, harvest the ripest fruit first. Because probably all of us can think of people we know who seem a million miles away from ever coming to face. Jesus says, don't spend all your time on people who are opposed to the gospel. If all they want to do is argue with you, it's not that you ignore them or don't love them, by all means keep praying for them, but invest the majority of your time in people who seem a little further along, a little more open. Perhaps it's evident God's already working in them. They've already started asking you good questions. They already appear to be open to answers. Jesus isn't saying ignore those other people, but just focus on the low-hanging fruit first. So I want to encourage all of you, go away, have a think. Who in your life appears a little closer to face? Who do you know that maybe you just invited them? Do you, do you want to come along to an Alpha course? Maybe you don't know what an Alpha course is. Let me explain. This is what it is. Judge, just come along with me. Just, just one evening, see what it's like. Come back if, if you enjoy it. Don't if you don't. Or maybe... I belong to a church, um, meet at King Edward's Boys School. I'd love it if you came and had a look with me next Sunday. Why don't you come along? Who is it that you know if you ask them that kind of a question, they might actually come? You know what you should do? Ask them. Ask them. Just out of interest. How many of you would say that you came to face or you came back to God because somewhere along the way, someone, a friend, a family member, a work colleague, maybe a complete utter stranger, invited you along to something. How many of you? Okay, keep your hands up if you are grateful that they plucked up the courage to invite you. Now, I don't think anyone's put their hands down then. Okay, you can put them down now. It's pretty simple. Look for people who are open and then just ask them to stuff. And you never know, one day they might be very, very grateful that you did. Simple. Fourth thing Jesus says is effectively, don't let money or lack of resources restrict you. He says, don't bring money. Kind of don't bring your wallet, don't bring your credit cards, don't bring your purse. Don't scrabble around trying to pack everything and see if you've got everything before you go. No, just go. Go and assume that the Holy Spirit has gone ahead of you. Expect that God has been working in some people's lives. Strike up some conversations. Look for those who are open. And then talk to them about Jesus. If they offer you food, it's okay to eat it. And as you're eating with them, share the love of Jesus with them. And if they come to faith and maybe want to give to support the spread of the gospel to others, and bonus, great. I think what he's saying is we're not to wait until we've got all the money or all the resources we need to do this. 
There's a faith element. We're to trust God to provide what we need as we go. And he will. Then later on in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 22, verse 35, Jesus asked his disciples, when I sent you without purse, bag or sandals, did you lack anything? Nothing, they answered him. He's referring back to this section in Luke 10, when he sent them out with no supplies. Clearly, it had taught the 72 to depend on God. It's like, God loves me. And so, God surely will provide everything I need as I go. And Jesus says, well, it sounds great in theory, but is that really what happened? They say, yeah, it did. God provided all our needs. Honestly, we lacked nothing. If we're going to lay hold of everything that God has for us as a church, we are going to have to live by faith. There are going to be opportunities that open up for us, even this year, where we won't have all the resources we need ahead of time. The key question is, is God calling us to do this? And if we're confident he is, then we follow him. And we trust him to provide. And then fifth, heal the sick and demonstrate the power of God's kingdom. It's really quite simple. If people are sick, offer to pray for them. You don't even have to invite them to a special meeting. You could be very radical. You could offer to pray for them there and then. God, demonstrate your power. Demonstrate your life and your love. Let this person know that you are real and you are able to heal. Receive healing now in Jesus' name. Pray for the sick, wherever you are. Implication being, the sick will be healed. And God's kingdom will advance. So those are the things that Jesus says we're to prioritise. Watch out for the wolves. Seek the salvation of everyone. Particularly look for those who are open. Don't let money or lack of money restrict you. And by all means, seek to heal the sick and pray for those who are suffering. And Jesus says, if you'll do that, you will get a what? You will get a harvest. People get saved. Lives get transformed. Miracles occur. There's fruit. Things happen. Things get transformed. Things change. And all probability, some of you, a few of you may be, are still thinking, yeah, but if truth be told, I don't like change. As one preacher once put it, there are only two kinds of change. Growth and death. Every church, every ministry has one kind of change or the other. Harvest and growth cause change. Death and decline also cause change. But the question isn't, will we have change? The question is, will it be harvest change or funeral change? 
And just in case you're wondering where I'm going with this, think, well, what kind of church are we then? We're after harvest change. We really are. And it's not change for the sake of change. No, it's change for the sake of the gospel. It's always change for the sake of the harvest. It's change for the sake of Jesus and those who don't yet know Jesus. And then Jesus closes by saying that at some point we can expect it to get ugly. It's my interpretation of these next few verses. Let's quickly read them, then we'll wrap up. Picking up again in verse 10. But if a town refuses to welcome you, go out into its streets and say, we wipe even the dust of your town from our feet to show that we have abandoned you to your fate. And know this, the kingdom of God is near. I assure you, even wicked Sodom will be better off than such a town on Judgment Day. What sorrow awaits you, Chorazin and Bethsaida? For if the miracles I did in you have been done in wicked Tyre and Sidon, their people would have repented of their sins long ago, clothing themselves in sackcloth and throwing ashes on their heads to show their remorse. Yeah, Tyre and Sidon will be better off on Judgment Day than you. And you people of Capernaum, Will you be honoured in heaven? No. You will go down to the place of the dead. Then he says this to his followers. Verse 16. Anyone who accepts your message is also accepting me. And anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. It's like... Jesus comes as a prophet, and he's saying that towns and cities, they have an opportunity to respond to him. But if they refuse, then woe to them, because he's God. He's the king. He's Lord. He's judge over all. And one day we will all stand before him. And he's saying that, Just as the Father sends him, so God the Son now sends us. And if towns and cities and people reject the message, they reject the invitation of salvation, they reject the opportunity to repent of sin, they reject the opportunity to come to faith in Christ and be born again as Christians, then woe to them. Because judgment is on them. Hell awaits them. Torment awaits them because God has, in his grace and his mercy, offered them peace. And for whatever reason, they've chosen war with God. And that's a battle they cannot win. And he's saying that for some people, the judgment will be worse. For example, he refers to Capernaum here. He says, there's no excuse for you. I lived there in your midst. I was teaching you. And you didn't listen. You you were all invited to respond. But you refused. And so your judgment will be worse than those who have had less opportunity. Just think about this. In a day and age when... There are innumerable opportunities to meet and encounter Jesus. Learn, grow. If you reject him, 
How bad will your hell be? And I say that because I care. I say that because I'm driven by concern for people. I don't know, maybe you find yourself in this room today and you know that you haven't received Jesus' offer of salvation. I am pleading with you, please don't reject him. Please receive his offer of life and peace and relationship with him. Truth is, God has given so much opportunity to so many. So let me end on a positive note. The harvest is what? Plentiful. really is. There are lots of people that are going to receive Jesus and not reject him. And not experience war but blessing. And enjoy peace with God. And he sent us. And more specifically, he has sent you. The need couldn't be more urgent. The the plight of those around us couldn't be more desperate. But the promise is that the harvest is plentiful. The opportunity in front of us is massive.